Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! That was my scary Psyche Saturday voice. Very scary. Yeah? I'm terrified. Good. But in all seriousness, Happy Halloween, everybody! Happy Halloween! Best holiday of the year. It's a good one. And because it's Halloween, we have a very special Psyche Saturday. Ooh. Yes! On today's Psyche Saturday, we will be discussing a little bit about dissociative identity disorder and doing a film review on M. Night Shyamalan's Split, starring James McAvoy, whom I love. How accurate was this movie in portraying someone with dissociative identity disorder, and do we think you should see it? First, before we get into anything, we want to let you know that this episode will contain a lot of spoilers about the movie. (laughs) So if you have not seen it and do not want to know what happens, go watch it and then come back to listen. Yeah, if you feel like you want to see the movie, you need to go see it. Yeah. Because it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, If you don't care... um, You should. Then you if you're listening just... to a podcast called Psyche Saturday and you don't care about the movie Split, you just haven't heard of the movie Split. And you <laughs> should go watch it. So I guess Dan answered the second part of that question is uh, of should you see it? Mm-hmm. Yes, we definitely recommend that you should see it. Yes. <laughs> we also want to put out a disclaimer that while movies and television often portray people with mental illness as evil or bad people, as this movie kind of does, and we'll get into that, please know that this is not the case And this is not at all what we are trying to do with this episode. We want to see how accurately a film portrays these types of individuals. So with that said, let's get into it. Dissociative identity disorder was formerly known as multiple personality disorder until it was renamed in the DSM-4. It is considered the first of the dissociative disorders listed in the DSM-5 and is characterized by a disruption of an or discontinuity in the normal integration of consciousness, memory, identity, emotion, perception, body representation, motor control, and behavior. DID is further characterized by the presence of two or more distinct personality states and recurrent episodes of amnesia. This is noted as a disruption of identity by marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency with related alterations in affect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. 
So let's get into the film review and discuss what is realistic and unrealistic about James McAvoy's Kevin. All right. First, I'm going to start off by saying this is a movie. So, of course, everything was over-dramatized for entertainment value. With that set aside, I am always so in awe of the way that Blumhouse creates concepts. And having brought M. Night Shyamalan in to produce, direct, write is, of course, just phenomenal because the way that that man's mind works, I think, is he uh, he I put him on that same level as like we've talked about, you know, the Elon Musk's and the um the Tim Burton's, you know, that that kind of mind and the way that he intertwines reality with, you know, the supernatural, I think is just such a such a really important melding when it comes to humanity. And I always find that that's what Blumhouse tries to do as well. So I think that the pairing of the two was was perfect. Uh, so that's my first impression. What about your first impression? Yeah, I agree 100%. It, it, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing to add, really, exactly what you just said. Okay. For sure. All right. Um, so... Before we watched the movie, what kind of was your thought going into it? Uh, I mean, that's a pretty generalized question. Okay. But uh, I thought it was a, pr a very cool sounding movie that I wanted to see. Okay. Um, I thought <laughs> it was pr going to be pretty much what it turned out to be. Um, I guess I wasn't expecting as good of a movie i really thought it was going to be more documentarian not documentarian but i i, I guess I, I wasn't expecting a good movie that was a freaking phenomenal movie like even if you don't care about psychology at all that was just a really good movie um i thought the actress who played casey was phenomenal yeah uh i don't know how old she is i don't know if she's actually like 16 or if she's just one of those people that looks really young uh, but she was fantastic. She was 20. Okay, so pretty freaking young. Uh, she did an incredible job. Um, I actually thought all the actors, which is which is another interesting point about the movie. You know you've got something phenomenal when there's a movie where there are really only four or five actors in the entire movie. Yeah. And really there are only two, like main cast actors yeah. there's james mcavoy and there's uh anya taylor joy anya taylor she looks like an anya yeah because i mean the the psychiatrist was obviously a fairly main character but i would consider her like a strong supporting role and yes. then the two the other two girls were also kind of like supporting, supporting. roles <laughs> really there was it was a movie with only two main characters right. and yet what a full full movie because there are actually 25 main characters. Right, exactly. You know, or at least if you consider, and again, these are spoilers, but you've already had your warning. If you consider, let's say, um, uh, Dennis and 
the other personalities, the main personalities. Patricia, Barry. Patricia, Barry, um, Hedwig? Hedwig. Yes, Hedwig. Mm-hmm. Hedwig. Hedwig. If you the consider them all to be individual characters, then that's really what it feels like. Yes. Which kind of speaks volumes about, A, the writing, and B, James McAvoy's oh, acting. Uh, yes. I mean... His ability to... And we see him in a lot of the movie switching back and forth quickly between, which I'm, we'll get into that when it comes to the actual psychology of, of DID. But, like, for him to be able to switch like that in one scene mm-hmm. um, and do it so smoothly. Yeah. 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 So the the writing and the acting on the part of James McAvoy is incredible that it's a movie with really only two to five characters, two to five actors, and yet you feel like it's a full cast yes. movie. Really phenomenal. Yes. Definitely, definitely worth worth seeing. Um, so I want to talk about the first probably hour and a half of the movie. Um, the movie's about two hours. I want to talk about the first hour and a half because the last half hour gets a little bit more of the supernatural aspect to it. Which M. Night Shyamalan is known for, but it's not so much involved in what I really want to talk about with D.I.D. And it's not, it's not, you know, goblins and fireballs. No. And, you know, it's, it's supernatural, but I wouldn't even consider it supernatural. I would consider it really just, just outside of natural, you know what I mean? Just barely. Right. Um, and I mean, that point alone, we could go on for an hour, but go ahead. All right. So, yeah. Um, one of the points that I want to make about it is we learn that Kevin is a man who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. However, we do not meet Kevin until well into the movie and we 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 learn why we don't know kevin until the end of the movie who we first meet is dennis and then we start to see the evolution of all of the personalities coming forward so james mcavoy's character of kevin has 23 distinct personalities and and they're called alters in the world of psychology, they are called alters. So you can have as few as two. That's how the diagnosis starts. And it can range to uh, quite a significant amount. I thought I read somewhere that you can have, um, on average, somebody with DID has maybe two to nine uh, personalities. Uh, we have seen people who have more than that. Um, there is an interview with thecut.com that is an interview with somebody who has DID and she actually has 21 personalities. So it does happen. You can have that many. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be less and you're always going to have dominating alters. So in the movie's case, in in Kevin's case, his dominant alters were Barry, Dennis, Patricia, and Hedwig. And they kept talking about, you know, giving each other the light and that some of them were, were 
repressed for a little while and then coming forward because of certain things that were happening. And that happens. So with DID, your triggers, whatever is triggering you, is going to trigger some sort of dissociation where another alter or personality comes forward so that you can cope. So DID is a coping mechanism to cope with past trauma. And what I also liked about this film was that they gave us a little bit of that insight into what his trauma was. He was abused by his mother as a child. So he started almost creating these these altars in his mind so that he could cope with not dealing with the trauma anymore. He would he would kind of dissociate from the from Kevin, who was the abused child, into these other personalities or alters so that he could no longer be in that situation. Right. And I think, and it's important to understand that the the alters as a defense mechanism are a defense mechanism. There's something that your mind builds to protect you from the trauma um, in two ways. One, it just allows you to be someone else who didn't suffer the trauma. But also, and this is a point that they go over repeatedly in the movie, uh, is that these personalities are strong. They're powerful. They, they use those two words a lot. And so these two personalities, uh, these other personalities are personalities to whom abuse could never happen. And so that's why Kevin creates, Kevin's mind creates these personalities because, um, and again, you've been warned about spoilers. Kevin's, Kevin's abuse is by his mother because she probably has some serious OCD and she freaks out on him when he's messy um, and so one of the dominant personalities that he builds, Dennis, is extremely super duper neat. Mm. The idea being that if he were Dennis when he was a child, his mother would never have yelled at him. Right. Right. Exactly. So with dissociative disorders, um, up to 75% of people experience at least one depersonalization or derealization episode in their life, which is a significant number, and this comes from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI. Um, but generally, only 2% meet the full criteria for chronic episodes of some sort of dissociative disorder. So I had seen numbers ranging from 1.5 to 2% of the gen- general population um, possibly being diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. Which is crazy. It's significant. No pun intended. Had you asked me, you usually ask me before you give the, give the number. Well, Had you yeah. asked me, I would have said by far less than anything else that we've talked about yeah. thus far. Yeah. So that's shocking to learn that there's a one potentially 1% to 2% of total human population suffering from DID. Well, again, we have to think about this is a disorder that evolves from trauma. And with so many right. people having had some sort of significant childhood trauma, it's, to me at least, not very surprising that we have this many people who potentially are going to eventually be diagnosed with 
with DID or not know that they have it and just, you know, go through life with with the potential of these states of amnesia, of blacking out and not knowing what was going on because another altar took over. And mentioning that, uh, I want to go back to the movie in that we don't meet Kevin until almost the end of the movie. And we learn that he has that personality, that the, the real person, Kevin, the real personality, had regressed for two years. And all of these other personalities had essentially what they kept calling stolen the light, had, had come into the light and regressed him so much that by the time he came back, he had no idea what had happened for two years. He right. said the last time he knew he was on a bus. Right. So he was probably trying to get away and they stopped him. Quite because possibly. Because they knew right. that he was trying to go somewhere where they couldn't do what they wanted to do. Right. Now, the movie is, you know, it's a horror movie. Um, like I said, it's created by Blumhouse and M. Night Shyamalan and they are known for the for for horror thrillers psychological thrillers um a little bit of that supernatural aspect so take with a grain of salt the fact that he is a violent person so i'll get into a little bit about the prevalence of violence with them but just know again like everything else that we talked about on psyche saturday having a mental illness does not mean you're going to be a violent person. It is the same with general population. You have the same amount of risk, essentially, of becoming a violent person, whether you have or don't have a mental illness. So, again, these movies and TV shows and everything that have people who have mental illnesses are are designed for entertainment value. That aspect of the movie, you know, it's it's a great part of the film because of what the film is supposed to be about. But that aside, it's also, it, it's just, it's a great take on, I I believe it's a great take on what dissociative identity disorder really looks like. You know, when we see him talking to the psychiatrist, she's wonderful. She is really involved with empowering him enough so that these alters do not take over his life anymore. And something that they say a lot in the movie, the alters, is we're finally going to be believed. And I thought that that was such an important message because uh, uh, for a lot of people who have dissociative identity disorder, a, it's just such a misunderstood diagnosis, and B, people still don't believe that it even should be considered a true mental illness. Right? Yeah, that's a the, the idea that they want to be believed. That, believed. That's a that's a statement outside of the 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 universe of the movie, outside of the story arc of the movie. That's a statement that the writer is making to say, "Hey, this is a real thing," you know? Because yeah, it's 
everyone assumes that they're perfectly normal, which we've talked about before is not the case. Everyone has a little something wrong with them. It's just how good you are at dealing with that and moving forward and participating usefully and productively in society. You could be completely completely abnormal and still leave a perfect, lead a perfectly normal life, or you can be mostly pretty healthy mentally and still be a, a dickbag. Um, everyone's got a little something going on. It's just a question of how you let it affect your interaction with the rest of society. Um, and so people... The, like like you keep having to point out that people with with mental illness are not necessarily violent because it's a pervasive theory amongst the quote unquote normal that if you are um, violent in a way that's not um, accepted that you must be crazy that only crazy people use violence in bad ways but like. If you go out and you get into a fight with someone who said something said something to you, that doesn't make you crazy. That's a totally honorable way to use violence against someone. But if if I just go out and I punch someone, I must be crazy. In reality, there's a spectrum there. You know, there where the the latter person who just struck someone um, without reason, is a little bit further on the spectrum away from healthy behavior, but the person who just just jumped at the chance to hurt someone because he said something dumb is a little shallower on that spectrum of unacceptable behavior, but it's still unacceptable behavior. But it's been accepted by people because violence is, is, is just part of our culture. It's part of being human. So a 2017 article by Weberman and Brand mental illness and violent behavior, the role of dissociation, found that in a sample of people with dissociative identity disorder, recent criminal justice involvement was low and symptomology did not predict criminality. So, again, just like we say all the time, it does not increase your risk of becoming a violent individual so when we see people who have these disorders portrayed like this in films and movies, films and, and television, we have to understand that, again, it is there for entertainment value. They they dramatize it. They blow it way out of proportion. They make it look like something that it necessarily is not. But to that point, I, th I think it's I think it's important to understand that only really one of his personalities was violent arguably two if you include the beast um but i don't i don't know if i would include that so really only one of his personalities was violent and even the other two like evil personalities and i'm putting that in quotes uh restrained the violent personality from really doing violence yes and that's in a sea of 24 other personalities so that means that even someone with as severe a mental illness as he has is 23 24ths likely to be a peaceful person and only 1 24th likely to do violence. Right. It just so happens that, and it's an unfortunate truth of the entirety of the natural universe, that doing violence to whatever it is is the fastest way to achieve a goal. You know, yes. if you want a thing... 
you can just steal it. Yes. I'm not advising that you steal no. things. <laughs> Never. It's much more difficult to like go to school and get a degree and get a job and earn money and then buy the thing. It's way, way easier to just take the thing. Right. Um, and if you don't like someone, it's way easier to just stab them or shoot them and now they're mm -hmm. gone than it is to have a series of conversations with them where you try to reason with them. Right. So it's an unfortunate truth of the universe that in, in the case where you've, you do have 24 personalities, that personality, which is willing to go to whatever means necessary, whatever means are necessary to achieve its goals, will likely succeed at achieving said goals. And so that's the only reason that um, Dennis and ultimately the Beast take over Kevin. And the reason that Kevin is regressed for two years because Kevin seems like he's a pretty nice guy. Yes. Well, um, he he even asks Casey. Right. Did to, I hurt you? And then. Well, yeah. right. I mean, we're giving and spoilers. Then, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And then kill me. And then killed me because <laughs> right. he knows that his personalities are not what he wants. And, and right. And right. he, he asks, yeah, did I, did I hurt you? Did I do something to you? Yeah. And at one point, um, Dr. Fletcher uh, says to, I don't remember if she was talking to Dennis or the Beast, but one of the two of them. And she says, the only reason that you are here doing this is because of this place that you've built yourself. And I was talking to Sarah about how the only reason, yeah, the only reason that he was able to evolve these personalities, especially the darker ones, is because he had this place where he could experiment with it. Yeah. Where if he was just going to work every day... And, you know, coming home and saying hi to his doorman and then saying hi to his, the other people that owned apartments in his apartment building and maybe even had friends that he was talking to. These are all things which are likely to impose structure, which are what people who have unstable personalities absolutely require. You require structure. In fact, we all do, because as I said before, we all have to some degree some instability absolutely. in our psyche. Yes. And so having structure is what allows us to emphasize those aspects of our psyche which are most constructive and de-emphasize those aspects of our psyche which are the least constructive. Yeah. And so if you just take any person and stick them in the woods for two years, they're going to come out as a more dangerous, mm. more violent, more impulsive person. Right. Um, in fact, that's the whole basis of the Survivor show and all of the other shows that have spawned that are like it, are the idea that if you take structure away from people, you take the restrictions away from them and they can do the things that they've really wanted to do. And that's the idea with the, uh, you know, apocalypse fantasy. I guess I'll use the word fetish. The apocalypse fetish that a lot of people today have. The that, doomsdayers. The doomsdayers. Mm -hmm. but, but, but everyone, you know, you watch The Walking Dead and you think like, oh, yeah, I would be great at that mm -hmm. because... I can shoot and I can fight There's no and rules. I'm smart and <laughs> I would be great at this because they're the, the only reason that I am where I am in life is because of the stupid rules. Right. But no, the only reason that we have anything in life is because of rules. But I'm digressing a little bit. The point is the human mind requires structure yes. to be constructive. And so when that structure was taken away, when he got that little that little place in the zoo in the service area, his mind was allowed to play. And that's where he, that's where the more violent personalities were able to 
gain power back because there weren't those rules saying, no, 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 don't listen to Dennis. Don't listen to Patricia. Listen to Barry. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. Barry was a little bit more um, stable in, in his altar. Prior to the start of the film, it seemed like from what we saw in the film, Barry was the dominant altar. Because he seemed from what we saw to be the most stable and to be the 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 healthiest personality of the altars. Obviously, again, we didn't know what Kevin was like until much later into the movie. But Barry seemed like a mature, intelligent, compassionate personality. Then we saw as the movie progressed... The reason, like Dan's mentioning, of him turning more towards these other altars, these these more violent altars, these more aggressive altars, is because of his environment. While he was getting treatment from Dr. Fletcher, it didn't seem to be working, <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly. And... Living at the zoo and living within the cages and seeing the animals was unleashing his animalistic instincts. And while we were watching the movie, we talked about that. So do you want to elaborate a little bit about why he, why the beast became? The beast is the ultimate expression of what he's wanted to do all along uh, because his mother abused him for his imperfection. And he was convinced by her and by the abuse that his behaviors, even though they were probably totally reasonable for a child, although they didn't show too much of that in the movie, but we can assume that he probably was just a kid and maybe like spilled some Cheerios every now and then or whatever. Um, his mother's abuse convinced him that these things were horrible, horrible things to do. And so in his mind, doing these things makes you horrible, but he always feels the pull away from that. You know, his, his, his mother told him you have to be perfect and that's it. There's only being perfect and anything other than perfect is, is a sin, Um, and so he lived, I would imagine, again, they don't go into it too much in the movie, but I would imagine he lived most of his childhood striving for that perfection, knowing, knowing that that was what was wrong. Um, and it is wrong. Like you can, you can keep your, your house clean and that's cool. Don't obsess. That's a disorder is to obsess about cleanliness, cleanliness and, and neatness and order. Um, again, it's nice to have things clean. It's nice to have things organized and safe, but you can have things out of place sometimes. It's, it's okay. You can leave your drink cup out on your desk and deal with it the next day. It's not a problem. You don't leave it there for days so that mold grows on it and ants colonize it, but you can leave it overnight and go to bed and deal with it tomorrow morning. It's not a problem. Um, and so subconsciously, he had this voice fighting all the time, knowing that this was wrong. You don't need to be perfect. You can spill a cherry every now and now and then. It's not a big deal. You can leave your sheets a little messy. It's not a big deal. And he had been repressing that that drive for so long that it created 
the beast, which was a personality that was the result of years and years and years of, I don't want to say quite pent up frustration, but the desire to be messy, or at least to accept that it's okay to be messy. Um, and so the beast is the ultimate expression of doing the things that you want to do all along. Um, and then there's also the idea of consuming the impurity. So he finds these two girls who are, by society standards, pure. They're smart, they're popular, they're pretty, they're, they come from decent families. And they and seem to be pretty kind-hearted girls as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they put on this perception of purity, which in his mind is impure. And so he has to consume that. And that's what the beast is. Because the average... <laughs> Uh, the average deviant, I, guess, I don't know, it's not the right word, but but um, Dennis would not be able to do the things that the Beast can do. Even as, as powerful as Dennis is, he can't do those things. He can't kill. He can't eat of the flesh. The Beast is finally when he's able to, when, when the group is able to do this. The Horde. The Horde. The Horde. Right. Um, well, the Horde, so the Horde is all of the other personalities. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, Dennis and Patricia are not members of the Horde. The Horde is, are all the other personalities that are trying to control them. And Dennis and Patricia are acting against the Horde. They're there to say, no, we should be able to express ourselves and grow and become as powerful as possible. Um, and so, again, the Beast is the ultimate expression of that. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I want to mention about things that the psychiatrist, Dr. Fletcher, uh, discusses. Because as I mentioned before, I think that she's such a, a force in this movie because she really is the one that's teaching the viewer that... People with dissociative identity disorder are not what you think they are. She's the she's the 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 light in the film in the sense that we we need a so there are two protagonists, I would say, in the movie, her and Casey. And then if we want to add in some of the personalities, I would add in some of the personalities as well from from Kevin. But I think that she makes such good points to have the viewer come to the realization that this is really a true mental illness that we need to take seriously in society. Nothing to do with the film. She's that voice for society. And I think that they did such a wonderful job of writing her character and giving her such fantastic things to say and 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 giving her character the compassion that was needed to be that that voice so there were a couple of things that she said um she she mentioned that there were some people who suffer from did who their alters can almost change their brain chemistry in in a sense. And so Dan and I did a little digging into what that actually means. And so according to the National Alliance on Mental Health, uh, 
the National Alliance on Mental Illness Michigan, their DID fact sheet does say the alters may even present physical differences such as allergies, right or left-handedness, or the need for eyeglass prescriptions. And we found that to be incredibly, incredibly amazing. So a few of Kevin's alters wore glasses. Um, and we saw at one point when, when the alter transitioned to somebody who doesn't wear glasses, the glasses were immediately taken off. We also learned that one of his alters has diabetes and that the alter actually says, I'm the only one who has to do this. No, none of the other ones have to shoot themselves up with this insulin. I don't understand why I'm the only one. And I think that that's such a, an incredible thing. And it's another part of that power that they have that keeps being reiterated through the movie. The power of the mind. The fact that the brain chemistry can alter your physiology because of the way it's trying to cope from trauma is astounding and still something that we do not understand even remotely. There, there, we don't understand why it happens, how it happens, but we need to understand it. And I think that, again, the movie did such a good job of really playing into the power that people with this disorder really truly have that they might not even realize they have. Their brains are controlling so much of them because it's trying to find safety. And we talk about all the time in our trauma episodes that that's all our brain is really trying to do for us is to get us to a safe place. And I just I can't say enough about how wonderfully I think that this movie was written. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 the best that you can do when you're talking about hard psychology you know what i mean like like you said you know they have to if you're gonna make a movie you have to entertain people that's a fact if you wanted to make a movie that was just called let's talk did no one would buy tickets to it you would lose so much money you would never be able to pay james mcavoy no um, <laughs> no so you have to i don't want to say sell out a little bit but you have to compromise your vision a little bit if you want to make a movie and that's a fact that is a stone cold fact. You have to compromise your vision a little bit. If if I wanted to make a movie that was strictly about um, origami, I I would not make any money on that movie. I would lose every dollar that I spent on making a movie about origami. But if I made a movie called you know Ninja Awesomeness. And there were ninjas fighting demons and they just happened to all be met out of paper. I might actually make money on that. Right? So, you so you know, if you want to make a movie about dissociative identity disorder, if it's totally realistic, you're, the movie's going to fail. So you, so you have to compromise a little bit and you have to, again, I don't want to use the word sell out, but you have to sell a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Blumhouse did a really good job of 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 treading that line, of walking that line, of how can we honor the the idea while also making a movie. 
And like I said to you, the thing that surprised me the most about the movie is how good of a movie it was. Yes. I was really expecting it to be something that really only appealed to us because we're nerds. <laughs> um, but really, that was just a freaking fantastic movie overall. It even really... if you don't care about psychology at all. No, it's true. It was true. just an excellent movie. It's true. The acting, the writing, the directing, it's just, it all worked Everything was so excellent. well. Yeah. It really, it really did. Um but I mean, I'm generally a huge fan of of M Night Shyamalan and and Blumhouse, so I I thoroughly enjoy a lot of their films. There are some that they can tweak a little bit, but for the majority, I'm 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 a fan. So one of the things that I did want to mention, though, um, that is a common misconception about um, DID, and they did do it in the movie, is that he could kind of slip back and forth on command between alters. And while that can happen, it really doesn't happen as often as we see it portrayed in, in movies. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll see the, the, the person in the psychiatrist's office and the psychiatrist will say, well, let me speak to so-and-so. And then like all of a sudden they're just in that personality it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> I think that they did a good job of that because he he didn't snap back and forth. You know, the one time that we saw in the psychiatrist's office that he did change personalities, she was pushing. She was pushing hard. Yes. Um, and when we see him switch personalities in the zoo, there's a lot of lead up to it. There's a lot of he's coming, he's coming, he's going to be here soon. Right. And so I wanted to talk about that part what you're saying there. So there is a part at the end of the movie where, right. So the beast is coming and they're all kind of, all the alters are kind of having a conversation about it. And the, we see him slipping back and forth. That's also not portrayed 100% accurately because generally speaking, that would have been a conversation within his mind, but we need to see it as viewers because this is, it's a movie, it's visual. So we see him transitioning from one to the other, talking back and forth, back and forth, having a conversation. More generally speaking, that happens within the mind. And it's almost as if they're having an internal conflict. So it's not necessarily that they're hearing voices ha going back and forth, but it's it's literally having a conversation in your head of, you know, should we do this? No, I don't think we should do this, but I think that we should do this. Should I wear this shirt today? No, I, I don't want to wear that shirt today. Yeah, no, I think we should wear that shirt today. It's that kind of thing. We saw it because it's a movie, but usually that would have been done internally. That would have been all within the mind. Like I mentioned before, there was the interview with somebody who has DID in the uh, in the cut dot com. And that is what she mentioned. She said that a lot of it really happens just within her head. She 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 essentially talks to herself in her head and she knows that it's all her different alters that are kind of having this conversation. She actually calls herself we because she has so many that she identifies as all of her personalities, all of her alters. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there a little bit. And I agree with you in the, in the office with Dr. Fletcher. I, yeah, she pushed him to get that to happen. And at first he was very reluctant to do it. Um, so I agree with you 100%. I just want the listeners to understand that it's, it doesn't happen 
so easily and and it may happen in a very different way. And one more thing I really, really wanted to mention, because it was probably the biggest part of this movie that resonated with me the most, was a line that he says at the end. And the line is, the broken are the more evolved. And he says this because one of the three girls that he takes, he, the beast believes that she is pure, which makes her impure. As Dan mentioned before, there was kind of that like dichotomy happening. But he finds out that she, in society's eyes, is impure. So in his eyes, she is pure. And he says basically that she's a broken one. She's a damaged one, just like he is. And he identifies with that. So he he kind of saves her because he he identifies with her. And I think that that line is so powerful when it comes to pretty much every single thing that we talk about on this podcast, whether it be sexual assault, domestic violence, any other type of trauma you're going through or have gone through, mental illness, we all have something in our lives that has altered us slightly but the ones that evolve in in a for lack of a better word in a better way are the ones who go through things that the rest of us can't even imagine going through because you learn so much about yourself you learn so much about the world around you and you learn so much about how to cope with things that the rest of us would never be able to cope with. So saying that the broken are more evolved, it it changes a person. Mm-hmm. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. And so the more wounds you have and you survive, the stronger you are. Correct. And as a society, we have to start looking at that. We have to start taking that into account because as we talk about on the podcast all the time, people assume that the things that we discuss don't happen often, but they unfortunately happen extremely often. And if we don't start looking at them from the inside out and don't start understanding what that trauma actually means to somebody, we will never evolve as a society. So understanding what somebody has gone through and empathizing with somebody who has gone through trauma will elevate us and will evolve us to the next stage of humanity. Being stuck, thinking everyone is pure and nothing bad can happen is never going to progress us forward and it's never going to teach us anything about ourselves. So to have that be one of the the last moments of the movie shows exactly what this movie was trying to do. And I am so appreciative of this movie. 
And I can't tell you how many articles I read denouncing this movie saying, oh my God, it was so terrible. And it puts DID patients in a bad light. And I understand that. But when we look at it from a purely psychological standpoint and take the entertainment value out of it, I think they did a phenomenal job. Yeah, you have to read between the lines. Yep. Again, this is a movie. It's made to entertain. If you're looking for the the truth behind it, you have to read between the lines. Yep. And if you think this is a bad movie because it portrayed DID sufferers in the wrong light, then you clearly weren't paying attention. So I'm going to say that we 100% recommend that you see this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Freaking great movie, <laughs> honestly. Um. So it's part of the story arc um, of Unbreakable with Bruce Willis. Um, and then the third in the series is Glass. We have not seen Unbreakable in a very long time, so we will have to watch that again. And we have not seen Glass, right? You haven't seen it either. No. Yeah. So we're going to have to watch that as well. But um, from a purely entertainment standpoint and a purely filmmaking standpoint this movie was phenomenal from a purely psychological standpoint the message in the movie was phenomenal so go see and it. it was and it was still good strictly from a psychological standpoint because you have to understand that like i said it, it's a fundamental drive among human beings to be the beast we all want to be the beast that's a fact i don't care how much you think that you're you're too good of a person and you would never do these things you want to do these things you're a beast everyone is a beast inside it's just we're very we've become very very good at suppressing these things so that we can contribute meaningfully in society so the idea of the beast is that in this movie is that kevin is able to fully express that you know the rest of the rest of the cases of dissociative identity disorder either are not potent enough to drive the sufferers all the way to that you know ultimate state or they're simply luckily able to suppress that themselves and with therapy and with intervention um but it's not it's not that the movie split is ridiculous because this would be happening to every DID sufferer. No, it's the idea that this is what could happen if not stopped. Right. You know, it's like if I make a movie about uh, a nuclear reactor going critical and exploding and killing a bunch of people. That's not ridiculous because every nuclear reactor doesn't explode. That's what every nuclear reactor will do if you don't stop it from exploding. Right. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you know, making a surfing movie about the biggest wave in the universe. Oh, that's ridiculous. There are no waves that big. You know, but there could be. There are, there are 300 foot waves that break off the coast of Spain. <laughs> so... So split is not ridiculous because it goes to the extreme. Split is just pointing out, hey, this is what it could be right. if it went to the extreme. Right. It's showing us what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And it also, it's showing us what we're capable of, not even necessarily in a mental health 
capacity in the sense that when broken, we can lower our inhibitions and do these things. It also makes a really important point, which is kind of a secondary point in the movie, that your brain is in control of every single part of your body. So any capacity that your body has that you are not consciously in control of, you could theoretically have conscious control of. Your body can heal itself. And so theoretically, if you had absolute faculty over your brain and your mind, you could become sighted again when blind. It's it's a possibility. We as humans at this point in our evolution don't have that, but the mechanism is there. We just don't know how to use it. So it's an important point that I think they're trying to make again as a secondary point in the movie, secondary to the psychology, uh, is this idea that if we have full control of our brain, you know, the possibilities are are almost unlimited. Exactly. The brain is a powerful instrument. So again, we recommend that you see the movie. <laughs> um, and... Um... We hope that you enjoyed this film review. And um, if you did and you want us to do more, suggest some movies to us. And we would definitely love to to do more of this because this was really, we enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, we haven't sat and watched a movie in forever. Yeah. <laughs> but even just to have the discussion about it, yeah. you know, I, I just, it, it was great. It was yeah. a really great experience. And uh, we hope that you also agree with that. So until next time, have a happy, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Oh, now you're scary. Happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Halloween. And we'll see you later with a bonus Blackbird for Halloween. Bye. Peace. Thank you.